Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, good morning. Oh man, one of those days, huh? Good morning. We um, started a new series last week called Jesus on the Christian Life, and For five weeks, we're looking at different aspects of the Christian life and what Jesus has to say about them. Uh, It's not at all to pit Jesus against the rest of the Bible, as though the red letters are the only authoritative word on these matters, but it's just to limit our scope and to give us a perspective that comes from the Gospels. And so last week, we were in John chapter 3. We looked at what it means to be born again, to be saved. We talked about how this is the work of the Lord um, to, to save people from beginning to end. And this week, then, it's fitting that we would talk about the, the rest of that, well, that middle piece. We talked about the beginning, we talked about the end, but what happens in between? And so uh, this week, we're talking about sanctification. Um, sanctification is a, uh, is a word that you probably don't use in your everyday conversation, at least I hope not. Um, but if you do, you, you know that there are, uh, there's a, a good way to probably think about it. Um, it's, a, it's the process of becoming like Christ. That's maybe one good definition for sanctification. The, the process of becoming more and more uh, like Christ. We're in John chapter 17 this morning, by the way. Not, not chapter 7, chapter 17. Uh, we'll be focusing on verses 17 through 19, but I'm going to read the whole chapter Um, because it speaks to uh, that little bit that we're really going to zero in on, and it helps inform our understanding. Let's talk about this definition of sanctification, though. It's the process of becoming like Christ. And I think that's true, but I think it's also somewhat incomplete. It's incomplete. What I mean by that is sanctification is is more than that. It's it's undergirded by more than just Christ-likeness. It is to become holy, to be holy, to be set apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. Um, Think about the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says, hallowed be your name. It's the same word, it's the same idea. Sanctified be your name. Would your your name be seen as holy? Uh, Would it it be set apart in our minds? Would it be treasured and valued? That's what we mean when we talk about being sanctified and then also sanctification. Now, we tend to think probably when we talk about sanctification more along the lines of that original definition, though, don't we? We think, what would Jesus do? We we think, what would he think or or how would he feel? What would he say in this situation? Um, We're good at talking about being gospel-centered, and and unless this book is gospel-centered, it's not worth my time and attention, unless this church or this preaching is gospel-centered. And all that is good. We want to be centered on the gospel. We want to think about Christ and his work. It's good to be oriented around discipleship and and training others up to, to know the Lord. But do we think of holiness when we think of sanctification? Right? Do we think of being set apart? Set apart when we think of sanctification. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for any number of minutes, 
you have experienced the highs and lows of the Christian life, right? You, you, you have experienced the joy of following the Lord, but I'm sure you've also got bits of regret, feeling like maybe you haven't come as far as you wanted to. Maybe you feel like you've been a believer long enough where, where certain things should be in your past, where, where things should make more sense maybe about who the Lord is, what he's done, and you're frustrated with yourself, maybe even frustrated with the Lord, if we're honest. Lord, why am I not further along? I, I thought this was going to be different, right? Maybe you've thought that. Um, but I, I think while sometimes it's right to be frustrated or a little disappointed with ourselves and maybe our lack of eagerness to pursue the Lord, I think sometimes our despair can stem from a misguided understanding of what sanctification even is. By that I mean, I, I think sometimes it's possible to despair over what we see as a lack of sanctification because we, we really have a faulty view of how to estimate whether or not we are sanctified. What does it even mean? If you're willing to examine your life, you might be able to find things that, that in, your, in your heart, in your mind, you, you feel like this is what it means to, to be sanctified, to, to truly follow the Lord. And it can be sometimes kind of silly, you know, if I eat this and I don't eat that, if I dress this way and I don't dress that way, if I, if I do these things or don't do these things, then, then I'm, I'm following the Lord. And, and other people who don't fit into that are not, right? Uh, but it can, it can be more internal than that, too. Um, where we judge ourselves based on uh, how, how, how eagerly devoted we perceive ourselves to be. You know, I, I didn't read the Bible enough, or I don't want to read the Bible enough, or I don't want to pray as often as I should. I'm not sanctified. I'm not growing. I'm not becoming more like Christ. In John's gospel, we find an account of Jesus' last earthly prayer for his disciples. Chapter 17. And it also contains one of the gospels, all four gospels, one of the few references on Jesus' lips to sanctification. Um, this is one of the few places actually that it's even translated as sanctify uh, in the gospels. And I think that's significant. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to read this prayer of Jesus and, and then I've got four points that I, I want us to look at when we think about sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be gathered in your house this morning, to be gathered with your people, um, to hear from your word, to truly to hear from you. I pray that you would stir our affections, that we would leave this morning um, eager to follow Jesus, that we would take great delight and joy and comfort from the work that Christ has done for us and the promises that he has made to us about all that he will accomplish. Wake our, our sleepy eyes and ears so that we would see and hear from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
John chapter 17. Now, I'm reading this whole prayer, which I acknowledge is going to be a little lengthy. Hang in there with me, okay? Hang in there. It fits so well. It, it perfectly informs the, the part of this prayer that I want us to zero in on, which is verses 17, 18, and 19. But in order for us to understand that, we need to, we need to see the scope of Jesus' entire prayer. So I'm going to read all this. I'll comment a little bit along the way, uh, but, but just, just listen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, right in the middle of that opening paragraph is an interesting statement. It's a very clear statement. Eternal life is nothing less than knowing the Lord. If you want eternal life, you must know God, and you must know his Son, the one that he has sent, right? And I think that's an important statement because as much as it says about salvation— what it means to ultimately, finally be redeemed and saved, to be justified, that we would know the Lord, it says just as much about our sanctification. Because, as this prayer will show us, sanctification really isn't anything less than knowing the Lord. That is the only place where we will truly find it. So let's keep going. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. This isn't the point of the sermon. What a statement. I am praying for them. That one's free. Just think about that. Jesus praying for his disciples. And because you're his disciples, if you follow him, think of, think of the affection that Jesus has for you. Think of the things that he prays and mediates for on your behalf, seated at the throne of God. Think about that. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. It's kind of the hinge of this prayer. Now, Jesus is going, but his disciples remain. What's going to happen to them? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And pay attention here 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You hung in there. You did good. Everyone was looking up. Proud of you. So 17, 18, and 19. Right here in the middle of this prayer, is, is, it seems to me the, the, the heart of Jesus' request to the Lord on behalf of his disciples, that they would be sanctified. And did you catch how he phrases that? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, that's an interesting way to phrase it. He could have said your word is true. Your word is truthful. I find things that are true in your word. That's not what he says. Your word is truth. The word of the Lord is truth. Now, that's a statement. Um, it's, it's one that probably, I want to take a shot in the dark, in, in this day and age, is not one that is going to win you a lot of friends to throw that out there, to make a claim like that. But, but Jesus, he, he puts this forward, that the word of the Lord is truth. And, and it's in this truth that we are to be sanctified. This is his prayer for his disciples, that they would be sanctified in the truth. Um, before we home in on verses 17 through 19, let's just think about this word sanctification a little bit more uh, and some aspects of it that maybe we haven't talked about. Sanctification is a lot like salvation. It, it is now, but it is also not yet. Right? If you're in Christ, you're justified. You're saved. And yet, there remains the final fulfillment of that, right? You still, you still have to actually cross the finish line. Now, it's a promise that you will. And it's so certain and so truthful of a promise that the Lord can say about you that you are justified when you are yet technically awaiting that final day. And it's the same with sanctification. Sanctification is both definitive and it's also progressive, Definitive and progressive. It's definitive in the sense that it's, a, it's an already, right? And so Jesus can confidently pray these things. And he can say, I consecrate myself that they might be sanctified. Jesus isn't wasting time. He's not hoping that this will all work. It is a sure thing. It's guaranteed. It will happen. If you look at 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy, that is sanctified 
nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's definitive sanctification right there. Holiness. It is yours if you are in Christ. But there's also an element to sanctification that is progressive. That is, it's not yet. It is happening. It's unfolding before us. And so Jesus prays. He asks that the Lord, that his Father would intervene in the lives of his disciples to make them sanctified. So 1 Peter, again, if you go to chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That echoing Leviticus. This is an idea throughout the Bible, that the people of God should be set apart, that they should be sanctified, that they should be holy. It's in Christ a reality, but it's also one that we watch unfold. So I want you to bear that in mind then, as we spend the rest of our time thinking about this text and, and what it means to be sanctified, realize that all these points are true definitively, but also progressively. I'm not going to get into it, but there's a sense in which all these things are true right now. And yet we also await the full, final revelation of these things. All right? So my first point, and I've got four, and this is the, probably the biggest one. This is the main one. To be sanctified is to be set apart in the truth of God's word. Just like verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Now, what do we mean by word? Um, I, don't, I don't think here he means the Bible so much as the revelation of God that Jesus brings, which the Bible, the Bible speaks to and records and gives us glimpses into an understanding of, interpretation of, but I mean more than just the Bible. I, I don't want you to walk away from the sermon this morning feeling like if I just read my Bible more, I'd be sanctified because that's not true. That's not true. What Jesus is saying here is not, I hope that they read their Bibles. Half the Bible didn't exist at that time, right? No, he's saying something more. The revelation, the, the word, the truth of who God is, what he has done in Christ even, that is where we find our sanctification. It's, it's something that we are to, to know and believe. And he says this throughout the prayer, which is why I read it all to you. Verse 3, I want them to know you. Verse 6, that I have manifested your name. I've made it known. Verses 7 and 8, now they know, for I have given them the words, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth, and they have believed. Right? Verse 13, these things I speak in the world. Verse 14, I have given them. Your word. Verse 20, for those who will believe in me through their word, he prays. And verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. Verses 25 and 26, though the world does not know you, I know you. And these people, my disciples, they know I made known to them your name, which is to say who you are. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to make it known. We are sanctified in the truth, the truth, the revelation of who God is for his people. And that's something that we should know. It's something that we should believe. And not only that, it's something that we should heed, that we should act on, that we should obey. If you look at verse 6, Jesus says, they have kept your word. 
He doesn't just give them the word, but we have his disciples. They, they are to keep his word, to hold fast to it, to preserve it, to guard it, to consider it more important than anything else. Verse 26, the, the, he prays that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I think we can, we can say in, in one sense he wants the disciples to experience the love that the Father has for Jesus. But, but I think there's also another element to this where the disciples too are to reflect this same love for one another, for the world, for, for God. There's an element that by, oh, by, by seeing these things, by perceiving the word, by understanding who God is, we then live a certain way, we act a certain way, we follow through on the thing that we say we believe, right? So there's a, there's a big question then that you have to ask, which is what role does the truth of God practically have in your sanctification? You want to be like Christ, you want to grow, you want to be holy, you want to be set apart, awesome. What role does the truth of God have in that for you? What role does it have for you? We're not talking about just reading the Bible. We're talking about valuing the word of God, cherishing the word of God, cherishing, esteeming, and treating as your greatest treasure the truth of who God is and what he has done. Do you treasure the gospel? Do you treasure the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. It is the truth that God has created all humankind declared it good, and yet, even from the very beginning, mankind fell into sin, disobeyed God. We've offended him. We've, we've worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And, and the Lord in his justice and in his wrath has allowed for people to walk in their sin and fallenness, and brokenness. But he sent his son, just like he created, just like he took the initiative and made all things, and even though it fell apart, the Lord then took the initiative again, and this time he sent forth his son, a second Adam, even better than the first one. This one would obey him perfectly, fully, would be just like the image of his father in a way that Adam and Eve could not. And Jesus obeyed. He was holy, as the Lord is holy. And, and, and he died, though he didn't deserve death. He took the punishment for our unholiness, that all who trust in him might receive his holiness, and be considered his brothers and sisters, his co-heirs of all that is his. And creation can be redeemed and restored. That's the gospel. Is that what you 
value above all? Do you treasure that good news? And believe me, the good news has so many more facets and angles to it than that, right? It's more than just a tweet. Do you treasure the gospel? You see, this is why just being like Jesus, being like Jesus is not, is not a sufficient definition of sanctification. It's not. Um, I, I have a routine in my life where every night, roughly 30 minutes before I go to bed, I pour myself the largest bowl of Cap'n Crunch with crunch berries. Technically called Cap'n Crunch's Crunch Berries. Not to be confused with Oops All Berries, which is all berries, but Cap'n Crunch's Crunch Berries, which has the yellow things, the little things, right? And then the blue, red, purple Crunch Berries. You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't eat this. It's better for you than Crunchy Raisin Bran. I found that out, and that's my justification for sometimes having two bowls every night. One time, and this has happened once, and I swore that it would never happen again. One time, I decided that I would purchase for myself, in substitute of Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries, the Walmart great value off-brand, I don't even want to speak the name of whatever that thing is. And I brought it home. It was in a big box, bigger than any box of Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries that I'd ever received. And I poured myself a big bowl of that stuff. And I ate it. <clears throat> well, I ate a bite. And I immediately spit it out. Because you know something? You can die crunchy balls of corn and oat germ and you can make them purple and blue and every color of the rainbow and you can give me little yellow rectangle treasure chest looking things and you could throw them in a bowl. You can give me the same milk, but you know something? It's not the same. It's not the same. It looks a lot like it, but it is not the same. There is nothing to set this cereal apart from hot garbage. In that train of thought, you need to realize that sanctification is so much more than just looking like Jesus. It is so much more than just playing the part, saying the right things, going to the right places, doing the right things, reading the right things, even praying out loud the right things. Sanctification is treasuring something. Sanctification starts with the gospel. It starts when you, when you grab a hold of the gospel as though your life depended on it. No counterfeits, no substitutes. It can only begin with the truth of what the Lord has done for his people. Do you treasure that? That's where sanctification starts. So maybe you're a little disappointed, and you probably will be this morning, because I am not about to give you seven steps to sanctification. I don't have it. I don't know what they are. I'd probably find a way to turn that into a way to glorify myself if I did. I don't have them. But I can give you something better. I can give you foundations on which to put all those other bricks that you might find. And that foundation is the gospel. So what do you meditate on? I think that's the question you need to ask. If you want to discern whether you treasure the gospel above anything, what is it that you meditate on 
when there's, when there's nothing going on, right? When the TV's off, when the book is closed, when your eyes are shut, what goes to your mind? What are the things that you worry about? What are the things that you value most? What are the things that you want to see happen more than anything else in the whole world? Because what you meditate on is going to be reflected in your life. And if you are meditating on the goodness of what the Lord has done in Christ, that will be reflected in your life. And you will become more like him. You will become set apart. Are you thinking about worldly things? You know, power, money, sex, friendship, popularity, whatever it may be for you. Is that what keeps you up at night? Because you can say you love Jesus all you want, and you can, you can do all the right things. But if that is what you think about, if that, is, if that is what has captivated your heart, then that is what you will become. That is what you will be like. And that functional Savior will only get you so far. Right? I say functional Savior. What, what's your functional hell? That's another way to know what it is that you value most. What's the worst possible fate that you can imagine for yourself or for people you love? Whatever that thing is tells me everything I need to know about what you value most. Right? Are you mindful of heavenly things? Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ must be your life. Look to things above how much sanctification would we experience, you think, if we cherished the gospel above all? If we cherished the gospel alone? How much sanctification do we forfeit by mindlessly consuming the things that this world has to give us? It's a tough question. Man, that's so important. What are you forfeiting? because your mind is not on things above. You know, do we live as though what began with the gospel will only progress without it? Galatians, Paul tells that church that they had started so well. What happened? What false gospel had they started to believe? And he knew that they had started to believe a false gospel because the way that they were treating one another and living indicated that they didn't think that the gospel was powerful enough to overcome racial and religious barriers. What, what do you think sanctification is if not living out the truths of the gospel? What if we made a point before we did anything else in the day to deliberately find a way to stir up our affections and stir up our heart so that before we did anything else, we were joyful in the Lord. Before we did anything, before you checked Facebook, before you checked the news, you, you, you immediately said, where's my heart at? How, how can I stir up my affections with love and happiness and delight 
in Christ and what he's done. We are sanctified in the truth, and, and the word of God is truth. That word is, is the gospel. It's nothing less. And in this way, this is my second point, we are set apart from the world. This is, this is where our set-apartness from the rest of the world comes into play. I'm not going to go there, but verses 9, 11, 14, 15, 16, verse 25, all these places in this prayer, Jesus repeatedly mentions how his disciples are not of this world. You probably heard it, right? They're not of this world. I'm not of this world. They're just like me. Of course, they're not like this world. But, but I'm leaving them here in this world, he says. And he does this for a, a couple of reasons. If you go to 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, Paul tells us that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Being set apart, sanctified in this world looks like this. It sometimes looks like judgment to the world. We, we are the fragrance of death sometimes. But likewise, it can be a blessing. We're set apart as a blessing and that we are a fragrance from life to life as well. And in a sense, we are the image of Christ in this dead world. Christ is not present here. He's not physically here. No one has seen him. But that, that's why he has left us, if you go to verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the role of the disciple. This, this is what it means to be set apart in this world, is that the world might see us and believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, just as we have been born, or just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Adam was created after the image and likeness of God, and we are recreated after the image and likeness of Christ. Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you are sanctified, by the truth, when you are sanctified in the word of God, you will be set apart from the world for, for judgment, for, for blessing, for the blessing of the world. But we're not just in this way set apart for, from the world. We are also, because of the word, because of the gospel, we are set apart for God. This is my third point we're set apart for God's glory. And, and right at the beginning of the prayer, Jesus in verse 4 mentions how he glorified the Lord in his time on earth. And the implication to my mind is that as he goes and leaves us, we have the same expectation, right? That we too would glorify the Lord like the one after whose image we have been remade. We are God's very own possession. We're not of this world. We are rather of God. We are his people. Peter told us we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are testaments to God's love. In verses 23 and 26, Jesus says that it's his desire that we would exhibit the love of the Lord for one another and, and in this world that people would see how great the Lord is, right? We're set apart for God that the world might see him and glorify him. 
that we might be satisfied in him. Finally, to be sanctified ultimately is to be set apart by Christ. I mean, think about his prayer for the saints. This is his prayer, and it's not wishful thinking. This is something that Jesus, perfectly in tune with the will of his Father, he, this will come to pass. He, he, he's not misunderstanding what the will of the Lord might be. He is, he is praying what he knows will come to pass, what the Lord delights to do. And so in that sense, yeah, this is something that is brought about by Jesus and that he prays for you. He prays for his disciples, all who trust in him. It is his desire, it is his will, and it is what he mediates for you on your behalf. This is what he goes before his father requesting. But, but more than that, this is why he consecrated, he sanctified himself. In verse 19, he says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. That's the same word as sanctify. It's the same word. I set myself apart. I've, I, myself, have been set aside for this, pur- for this purpose, that I might bring about the sanctification of all of yours. This is what Jesus says in chapter 10 of John, verse 36. He mentions, he references himself, and he says, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world? Right? He, he sees himself and, and is right that Jesus was consecrated that, that we might be consecrated. He was set, set apart that we might be set apart, made holy. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says that he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. I mean, we could have, this could have been a really short sermon. I could have just gotten up here and said, Jesus on sanctification. He is. And stepped away, and it would have been a true statement. He is our sanctification. You can't find it in anything else. You can't find it in anything that you would do. It will only come about in as much as you are united to him. And you are only united to Christ through faith, by the grace of God. So pursue him where he can be found. Your your aim, the aim of the Christian life, is nothing short of seeking to behold the face of Christ. That is the sum of the Christian life. I want to see Jesus. That is where you will find salvation, and it is where you will find sanctification. It's how you get from A to B, and it is all in between. Jesus is our sanctification. He is the source, and he's the one who makes it happen. I mean, think of how prone you are 
to being discouraged because you treat sanctification maybe like you should be treating your salvation. If I do this, if I am this way, if I look in the mirror and see this, then I've arrived, then I'm saved, then I'm justified, I'm, I'm right in the eyes of God. So often we think of sanctification that way, which is why it's so tempting to get a checklist, give me some rules, give me something to do, because if I can do these things, I can save myself. That's what we implicitly think. But salvation is found in Christ alone, not in how well we resemble him. Likewise, our sanctification must be rooted in the gospel, the revelation of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, the image of Christ. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. I'll start in verse 25, actually. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did Christ love the church and give himself up for her? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the what? The word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's the work of the Lord from beginning to end. It is the work of the gospel. This is the good news. The Christian life is all gospel from beginning to end. And this sets us apart from the world, and it sets us apart for God. In a moment, the band is going to, come up and we'll sing together. Um, Reynolds will lead us in a benediction. But right now, I want you to think about um, how far you've come, or not, since you turned to Christ in faith. Maybe you became a believer when you were a kid, or maybe it was a couple days ago. Maybe it's right now, I don't know. And you're, you're, you're walking with the Lord. Think about Think about that journey. Think about that distance. Think about what that's looked like, the highs and the lows, the success and the failure. Think about all of it. Maybe you don't believe at all. Maybe you're in here and you, this is all just silly to you. Um, maybe you're right to be frustrated with yourself. You know, Maybe you are lazy. You need to wake up. Whatever the case... I hope that you will trust in Christ, that you will rely on him and not on your own strength. Um, if you need to wake up, it's not to say douse yourself with water and, and figure it out on your own. It's to say you, you need to capture a vision of who Jesus is that you have lost. You, you need to treasure the gospel again. Find out how to treasure the gospel and then you will find out how to grow. Then you will be sanctified. Then you will become more and more increasingly like the image of Christ. So will you believe? That's my question. Will you believe? Whether you're a believer right now or not, will you believe? Will you treasure the gospel? Will you consider it worth more than anything? Will you act on his word? Will you act on the truth of the gospel? Will you, will you obey? Will you obey scripture? Will you obey the will of God that we have so clearly laid out for us in his word? Will you follow him? 
It's only by beholding Christ that we can become like him. That is the only way. I'm going to close with a, a quote from John Newton. Brad has Charles Spurgeon. He's, he's okay. But I, I've got John Newton. No matter what Brad wants to tell you, John Newton is mine. Brad has a habit of stealing my things. Anyway, here's a quote from John Newton. This is something he wrote in a letter. If you can imagine receiving a letter like this. He said, I wish... We may learn from all our changes to be sober and watchful, not to rest in grace received and experience or comforts, but still to be pressing forward and never think ourselves either safe or happy, but when we are beholding the glory of Christ by the light of faith and the glass of the gospel, to view him as God manifest in the flesh, as all in all in himself and all in all for us, this is cheering. This is strengthening. This makes hard things easy and bitter things sweet. This includes all I can wish for my dear friends that you may grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. To know him is the shortest description of true grace. To know him better is the surest mark of growth in grace. To know him perfectly is eternal life. This is the prize of our high calling. The sum and substance of all we can desire or hope for is this, to see him as he is and to be like him. And to this honor and happiness, he will surely bring all that love his name. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, what a, what a, what a privilege we have. The, the Christian life is so amazing. It is unbelievable that you would save us when we were not just undeserving, but at the absolute lowest point. We were your sworn enemies. But you and your love and your mercy and your grace and in your justice, you made a way for us to be considered not just your friends, but to be called sons and daughters of God. You did that through your son, through your firstborn, through Jesus Christ, who, who is the King of Kings. He took on flesh. He, he became a man. He came to this earth. He condescended to be with us, and he consecrated himself. He was set apart for this purpose, that he might redeem his people your people that you had chosen before the beginning of time. He came forth to bring this all about. How foolish of us then to think that the Christian life starts with this gospel. It starts with the work of Jesus for us, but then somewhere along the way, it becomes all about what we do or how, how closely we can imitate Christ as though we can counterfeit who he is. While we are to be like him, to imitate him, nothing that we do can, can fully make this happen. It, it must start with your grace toward us. Will you sanctify us? Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Your good news, what Jesus has done, that is where we find our sanctification. 
Because only Christ makes us conform to your image. We can follow after the pattern of Adam it will get us nowhere, but when we follow after the second Adam, we will become like you. Help us then to treasure Jesus. Help us to treasure this gospel. Lord, we, we repent from all the, all the foolish, pathetic things that we value and, and that we let d- dominate our thoughts and, and our affections. From silly things to very serious things, all of it, short of Christ, is is nothing. It's worthless. And like you told your people in the Old Testament, to, to seek after idols will only turn you into wood and stone. But when we behold Christ, when we seek him, when we look for his face and, and cherish that sight and refuse to turn away, when we get that glimpse, you will conform us into the image of your son. Just as Moses saw you and his face glowed, so too we will become holy, set apart, inasmuch as we love and cherish, put all our hope in, in Christ. Pray that we would do that this morning, that we would make a habit of, of not getting out of bed until we have made ourselves happy in the Lord. That we would make it our daily pursuit to seek your face. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.